Hello. As you can hear, this week we're making careers talk from scratch. I've got a few planks of wood, some nails and some amazing guests. We hope this might just help fix your job situation. Yes, welcome to a carefully crafted and lovingly manufactured careers tour. I'm Kerry Eustace. The reason I'm coming overall handy Andy is because this week we're asking, is a trades manufacturing revival the solution to graduate unemployment? Author and journalist Simon Jenkins certainly makes a convincing case for grads rolling up their sleeves. In his piece, Graduates Shouldn't Be Afraid of the Chisel and Oil Can, for The Guardian's comment is free. The former Times and Evening Standard editor joins plumber come musician Mike Stanley to debate this idea later in the show. Plus, we've also got some advice for anyone wanting to switch on to a behind-the-scenes role in TV. Sticking with the trades theme and inspired by Simon's excellent piece, I decided to try some of his suggestions out for myself and volunteered to help my other half, whose day job is an electrician, with felting our new garden shed. Warning, this clip contains hammering, sawing and ineptitude. So, it's a really lovely Sunday afternoon in my garden. I'm uh, admiring our new shed, which needs a roof, some shelves, among other stuff, and also lots of weeds. I'm looking at lots of weeds, oh God. And um, I'm going to tackle them. Just get it started. Slowly. You yeah. don't have to grip that hard. Okay. Get your finger pointing forward. Yeah. Then you just go. How thick would you say that this fence post is? Um, two inches by two inches. Alright, and how long would it take you to saw through that? About a minute. Oh my god. I think it's going to take me half an hour. I think it's the first thing I've ever sawed through entirely. Really? Successfully. Just hammered my first nail into the shed. Didn't go crooked or anything. Managed not to lose the use of any fingers. How did you think I did? Very well. Thank you very much for your help. (laughs) Would it have taken you a short period of time to have done it without me? No. The second pair of hands is always handy. (laughs) Okay. Um, Just reflecting on my my time in the shed and and working with Ryan on the tools, I I did find it really rewarding, sort of manual work. I mean, it's hard. It's kind of physically exhausting. But you kind of feel quite nice after it, you know, like sort of digging in the garden, like my arms aching, but I felt quite uplifted and in a good mood and like I'd really sort of achieved something really practical would you feel that way do you think if you had to do it or do you think it was because it was a choice and also did you get up the next morning and think oh I'd quite like to do some more of that definitely with gardening and I, while I was doing it I kind of thought if I ever wanted to change career I, I think I'd go into gardening or landscaping I just yeah. it is it's a really hard work and I'm not very strong but you know sort of you can see straight away the impact that your work has had and it's really pretty and the shed had a nice roof on it and doesn't leak anymore and (laughs) I I sort of spoke to Ryan about how he felt about his job and I'm like do you ever sort of feel 
stressed out after work. I mean, during work, I think we do. And he said, no. I mean, but I personally sometimes feel quite stressed after work, even when everything's done. And it's kind of like he finishes his job and he moves on to something else. And now for some news. And this week we have uh, eBay job seekers and uh, laptop thigh. <laughs> Harriet, <laughs> Harriet Minter and Ali White are here with me. Um, Ali, you're starting us off this week. I sure am. Right, this is the news that employers are seeking to expand their temporary agency workforce, according to research from the Recruitment and Employment Confederation's latest job outlook. So basically, 85% of employers surveyed are planning to maintain or increase the numbers of agency staff they use, a 10-point improvement on the previous month. And according to Roger Tweedy, the director of research at REC, he pointed out that, you know, this temporary and contract work can be a stepping stone back into employment for job seekers. And of course, the benefit for employers is, you know, getting that extra resources and having that flexibility. And it's interesting because, you know, I've been compiling our sort of weekly news where we look at job opportunities and I've seen a massive rise in temporary jobs. And of course, it's it's coming up to Christmas. So, you know, uh, Poundland, for, Pound for example, are looking to provide 2,000 jobs. Sainsbury's is to create up to 14,000 seasonal jobs and also Debenhams. So just made, made me think that perhaps if you are looking for a job, it's a good time to get into this temporary or agency work and start, you know, getting those skills back up to scratch. Or even like we say, it's better to be in any sort of work rather than no work at all. And you might even lead to a more permanent position. You've got some advice, haven't you, Harriet, for sort of making the most of your agency? I do. I actually temped on and off for four years and for over 40 different companies. That's my little fact. Um, And with lots and lots of temping agencies. And there are some things that you can do to kind of maximise your chances of employability. You've got to think, first of all, that temping agencies have lots and lots and lots of people on their books. Mm -hmm. So you have to make yourself known. So first of all, send in your CV by email and then 48 hours later, make sure you chase it up. Get the name of one person who is dealing with your CV and is in the area that you want to work in and don't hound them. Be very nice to them. Be very chatty with them. Make friends with them, but make sure you call them. I would say if you're calling them every day, that's probably not too much Um, because you've got to think they've got so many people on their books a lot of the time, the jobs they get in go to the first person that comes to mind mm. rather than necessarily the person with the best skills. So if they're thinking of you and a job comes in that you match, they're going to call you That's because they work that fast. Okay. And the other thing is um, when you have done some work for them, make sure you call them afterwards and say, thank you so much for getting me that job. I really enjoyed it. What did the client feedback on me? Is there anything else that you've got coming up that's similar? I'd be really interested in it. Let Let me know. And also, when if they do get your job, when you're in that job, be really nice to your boss and see if you can extend it and extend it and extend it. So I went to do two days' work and ended up staying for two months once. So wow. you can <laughs> push the job a lot further than it's meant to be. That's great advice. Very good tips. Um, okay. My story is to do with somebody sort of selling themselves or their skills on eBay. So sort of similar to what um, Kyle Clark did, who we interviewed a few pods ago. And if you missed it, I'll put a link to that on the show notes. And um, a guy called Tristan Rosen, and he's a 36-year-old graphic designer from Cheshire. And he'd um, been away to France because he wanted to set set up sort of a campsite business, but it didn't end up working out. So he came back to the UK. And because he'd been abroad, he couldn't sort of sign on straight away. So he's thinking, you know, well, what can I do to sort of uh, get a job and get my name out there and he came up with the idea of putting himself on ebay so he offered his um graphic design services for a year 40 hours a week 
and uh, then started heavily promoting what he was doing. So he sort of thought, get some attention, get some bids. And it was all going really well. He, I think he was up to about £1,250. And then the Telegraph came across the story and, and it kind of exploded. Um, he went from £1,250 to £3,000 on the bids. And, and anybody who sort of bids for vintage clothes on eBay, me, uh, <laughs> will know that it's just sort of towards the end of the, stale, the sale that it starts mm. getting exciting. People start putting more money up front. And... Um, eBay closed him down just before it was coming to an end. Um, so he started to get m- you know, much more interest. He was on the watch list and they said it was against their policy for him to do that. To sell, is it? To put himself on eBay. To sell himself. I obviously don't want to judge eBay, but weren't they the website that had some girl sell her virginity on it once? <laughs> yeah, I don't remember if they closed her down or uh, not. No. <laughs> Maybe that's it. That's something else we need to look into. So obviously um, Tristan had been putting... 15 hours a day in promoting this sort of idea he'd come up with. He was pretty gutted. (laughs) Um, But it's not all bad. The next day he gets up, checks his email, and he had 500 emails from people saying, we love your idea, well done, you're an inspiration to all the people who are looking for jobs. Show that you've got some get up and go. And as well as all that encouragement, he had sort of uh, a few offers for some work as well. So he's currently, I phoned him this morning, he's doing a few freelance contracts. Um, He's got an interview as well. And he said it's really brought some work and some interest way and you know he says he does realize that it's kind of like a bit of a uh, PR stunt but he says it was a genuine proposition for him to get a job and and it kind of got me thinking I wonder if the future is kind of like an actual marketplace <laughs> for job seekers where people bid and they sort of sell their skills and I think it's a good lesson on how much you have to sort of sell your skills and, and how clear you have to make it but I thought it was a great story anyway. <laughs> Love it. Oh, we'll be catching up with Kyle as well next week to see how his bidding got on. I want to know who's got it. I think it's so exciting. <laughs> who's got Kyle? <laughs> who's got Kyle? <laughs> so um, my story this week is about workplace injuries. And we all have heard of RSI, but the mm. new story is laptop thigh. <laughs> um, yeah, which, <laughs> well, I thought it sounds slightly like, you know, the celebrity shots you see of poor women who've been sitting on kind of wicker chairs and they... <laughs> grab an up-close photo oh. of her bottom and say, look, it's cellulite. Um, but actually, <laughs> what, what they're talking about is the injury you can do to yourself if you sit with a laptop on your knee for a long period of time. And I'm sure anyone who's done that knows they do get quite hot. And they're yeah. actually causing proper burning that generally really? is most commonly associated with people who work in industries like bakers oh. or um, oh. silversmiths or something really, really hot. Wow. So they're saying that actually workers need to be far more aware of this. <laughs> Um, and I've kind of found some other workplace injuries and I found some quite extreme examples, one of which was some poor guy who's a wine worker over in Italy actually fell into a tank of fermenting grape juice, which is just horrendous and then drowned in it. So I mean, oh you know, drowning in drink, which is not how you want to go really. Um, so it is, I think, quite a salient point on being careful as to your stress levels at work and um, being really careful with what you're doing because actually when you're stressed or you're thinking about something else that's when you stop concentrating and you actually get hurt now time for some advice from our forum experts Ali, what Q&A have you brought for us this week? Uh, I picked out behind-the-scenes roles in TV. Okay. 
Okay. So first up, if you are trying to break into television and uh, one of our experts said the more experience you have, the better. And what you can actually do is uh, if you have ever edited or you all know such programs as Avid or Final Cut Pro, they are editing suites basically, get one you know, and install it on your own computer. And apparently if you're still a student, you can even get a huge discount on their package such as Avid because they are quite expensive. And it's a really good way of getting to know inside out. You know, uh, you get a huge advantage of knowing these programs and this is what employers want to see really creating with you can you can get you some show reels and show your abilities and demonstrate that you can edit tell stories and have a sense of timing as well as well as just being able to operate this software quickly and under pressure it's almost like you're ready to go when you get that first job so they want you to have that pretty much in the first instance then um i'm not sure if it's a requirement but i think it will really help you get ahead you know you know these things inside out Mm -hmm. and you'll be able to hit the ground running i guess And then next up, you know, cut your teeth in areas outside the type of TV we sit and watch at home. There's a lot of areas that perhaps we wouldn't know about, but stuff like working for corporate events companies and hire companies or facilities company. And in this way, you can become familiar with the type of equipment and the ways of working and the mechanics of TV. And one of our experts said he believes TV is the same whatever you're doing, whether it's um, closed circuit training, broadcast programming, or just recording events for schools and churches. So what sort of TV and film work do events and facilities management companies need then? Okay, so you might find yourself recording a video that will be played at the start of a conference or I guess other kind of audiovisual stuff that will be used as part of these events. So I think that's a good way. And also they mentioned, I thought this was interesting, um, many county police forces have media centres where they produce in house video magazines and they actually like film incidents and this can actually offer you really good training and provide a good foundation to improve your skills then perhaps if you want to move over to broadcasting you've got that really good foundation and last of all it's not just you know video and sound there's a lot of jobs in tv outside these front-facing producing and presenting roles and our expert from channel 4 said that this the broadcaster spends a lot of time opening up career roles to people that might not have considered this kind of job in tv so for example i like this if you're thinking of being a lawyer their lawyers spend time reading Hollyoaks scripts for example so maybe not all of them but <laughs> they love that <laughs> yeah and you know if you're fantastic at math and you're interested in studying to be an accountant you can work in finance and combine it with your love of TV and she even pointed out you know roles like HR press and publicity advertising so there's a whole range of skills that are required for different roles in TV so you're still working in television you're just not on the screen thanks very much Ali no problem so we've got thousands of degree educated candidates floating around the job market trained up and eager to work in positions that in many cases don't exist What can we do about it? Well, in a recent piece for The Guardian, author and journalist Simon Jenkins wrote that job-starved young people must go into cooking, gardening, decorating and personal services, even if they call them catering, landscaping, interior design and consulting. And this isn't just a reaction to the recession, taking manual jobs because the likes of media and law are full. It can also be a positive step. Psychologists and sociologists such as Richard Senna have said that working with our hands is an activity humans are wired for, and so a day tending to an engine, opposed to researching a report, can be as, if not, more rewarding. So, is this a finely turned Chippendale of an argument, or a jerry-built bit of wobbly shelving? Simon is here now, and we're also joined by Mike Stanley, who works as both a plumber and a musician, and as someone who encompasses both the trade and creative sectors, 
we hope he'll be able to give us some insight into how satisfying manual work really is. So Simon, your piece about the graduates and the all can and the chisels, it highlights the opportunities and rewards looking trade work for graduates. I mean, how, when you were writing it, how did you think that graduates would respond? Actually, I didn't intend it to be a piece about careers. I tended to be a piece about work. Um, and I was making a point not about um, how you earn your money. It's actually how you get satisfaction out of your work. And the thing that I, I was very impressed by reading these books and from my own personal experience is that a lot of people think that you get satisfaction out of intellectual work, whereas manual work is just hard work. And the point that these writers make is that actually working with your hands is very satisfying in other kinds of ways and really is, um, I mean, in many ways, as deeply satisfying as people who work with their brains find that work. And there's a relationship between working with your hands and working with your brains that people haven't recognised in the past. That was the point I was making. Okay. Do you think that it's likely that graduates might look at these options, you know, sort of based on that, mm. how much more satisfying it could be and because of the market conditions at the moment? Well, there's no doubt at all that people are going to find it more and more difficult to find jobs that are, so to speak, intellectual. Um, the big boom now is jobs in the service industries. Now, it's sort of not necessarily with your hands, but in a sense it is. It's with other people. It's dealing with people. It's dealing with the things that people want. Um, a lot of it's to do with catering, entertainment, leisure, um, uh, gardening, cooking. Um, things that 30, 40 years ago really weren't considered proper work for graduates now are totally normal work for graduates. And, and the point I was making is that it's not just manual labour. It's actually a very satisfying sort of work. And we ought to change our kind of attitude to this sort of work from being rather snobbish about it to saying this is just normal work. Everybody does it. Well, that's something I wanted to ask you both about is how, you know, the status of this sort of work should and could be elevated. I mean, Mike, do you have any sort of suggestions or thoughts on that? No, only from my own experience as, as to how I've been treated as either a plumber or as a musician. And the two are very, very different. As soon as I, I go into a house, I'm expected to be a plumber. And uh, if it comes up that I do something else as well, there is a huge change of attitude to, to me as a person. What about you, Simon? What do you think we need to do to sort of up the status of trades? And money well, it's going to happen because of money. I mean, I'm, <laughs> yeah. a, I'm a great believer in money changing attitudes. I mean, you, you certainly now find that... Um, I know there's, there's the great joke, you know, my, what's your son do? Oh, he's a painter. Oh, exciting. Oh, he's doing even better. He's a painter and a decorator. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, that, that reflects the traditional sort of class distinction. But I just think it's changing. I mean, you know, my son spent a lot of his time working in a, in a restaurant. Um, he's, he's trying to be a musician, but he's working in a restaurant. <laughs> he's, he's quite proud of working in a restaurant. He'd like not to have to, but he does it, and he does it with a certain amount of pride. Um, and I think now you'll see, and apart from this, you're seeing these, these, these cookery schools, are basically sort of like, like finishing schools. Um, uh, gardening is now a highly reputable profession, I would put it like that, and it's, 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 it's manual labour. Um, and the only, thing, the only point I was trying to make is that I think intellectually, we, 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 not just for reasons of, 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 of not being snobbish, but actually there's something deep in, I mean, what Richard Sennett said in his book, there's something deeply satisfying in working with your hands. And, and I, when I do it, I do it very much, I mean, I do find it curiously satisfying. It's a, it's a rewarding thing to do. Absolutely. I mean, it is um, until it becomes a regular job. I think that mm. with everything, um, repetitiveness is going to cause the elation to die down mm. after a while. Um, if you were totally making a living out of one thing and that involved the highest possible craft, mm -hmm. if you're carving absolutely beautiful wooden animals, 
the first one you make is going to be hugely satisfying. Mm. The second one, the edge is going to go off. By the 500th, you're going to be thinking, how many more of these am I going to have to do to make a living? Mm. You know. So I, I think the rareness of, of doing work with your hands mm. has got a lot to do with it. Well, a lot of the authors that were, you mentioned in the sociologists in your piece, they were sort of coming from other careers. It was a career change that led them into yeah. their manual work. And that's why I'm unsure whether graduates will take the option without sort of having to decide to make a change. They want to change from their professional roles into something else. In my experience, most people who do um, craft jobs, plumbing, whatever it may be, actually have another job. It just doesn't pay. I mean, the other yeah. job is, in my son's case, is music. Uh, it just doesn't pay. Now, when he's asked what he does at parties, he probably says, I'm a musician. Yeah. Um, but um, but you know, th- th- that's not what he earns money doing. But that's what he wants to do. It's what he, it's what he wants to do. Um, I don't know how many musicians really want to do, be, be woodcarvers. But in a, in a curious way, I mean, I, I certainly notice a lot of people, who, when, they come, become re- when they retire from white-collar jobs, <clears throat> they, they say, I want to retire, which I always find rather sad. Um, but then say, I want to retire in order to do X. Yeah. The X is always very interesting because it's frequently to do with what you might regard as craftsmanship or just manual labour. Mm. I mean, I've got a brother-in-law who I'm sure is not listening to this. Um, I mean, he, he couldn't wait to give up his job as a civil servant to become a, um, a cabinet maker. He, yeah. he went on a course. He's an extremely able cabinet maker. He makes beautiful cabinets. Yeah. He gets terrific satisfaction from them. He's very proud of them. But does he have to do it? Or is he doing it out of choice? No, he, he, he's doing it out of choice. I, I, I mean, I don't have to write books, but I do it because something in me makes me want to. It could equally well be doing woodcarving. Yeah, I mean, some people have to work. Um, I mean, you know, when I say have to, what I mean is, do they have to do something to make a living? Mm. Um, In your brother-in-law's case, if he's retired, he presumably doesn't have to be a cabinet maker to make a living. No, he'd be bored out of his mind if he wasn't making cabinets, though. And, And I think in a sense, he does have to. Um, he, right. he, he's, he, you know, he's presumably got a pension, but he—he—it's what he really wants to do. Yeah, well, and that's great. the fact that and he makes money out of it too. Yeah, I, whether or not he has to, I really don't know. But yeah. I, don't, I don't think he cares either way. He just has to do it. Well, I think if you, if you're younger, I mean, you know, you, you see your whole life ahead of you, and if, if you're in your twenties and thirties, and find that you can't make a living out of your chosen mm-hmm. career, uh, and you're graduate and you've got mm-hmm. a high degree or something, and then you suddenly think, well. Okay, the only thing I can possibly do to make a living is to go and be a, a plumber or a street cleaner or, or something that he thinks in his head is a lower vocation. He has to do that to make a living. And one of the guys in the books, um, he was, uh, I think he was an academic administrator and he was a motorcycle mechanic. And he and everybody in the university brought their motorbikes to him. So he spent a lot of his time doing these motorbikes. Yeah. And the rest of the time, he was sitting in an office shuffling bits of paper. Yeah. And he, he said, all right, one is, quotes respectable and the other isn't. But there was no comparison in terms of personal satisfaction. Yeah, and, um, I mean, he had to do the shuffling of the paper. But the, but the satisfaction he got out of it, he's a wonderful passage in the book when he said at the end of the working day, he'd go home, he'd spend two or three hours um, working in the, in the workshop. And at the end of those two or three, the end of the first part of the day, he'd shuffled paper. Mm. At the end of the last part of the day, there was a purring, whirring motorbike <laughs> leaving his workshop. So the satisfaction you got out of that was incomparable compared yeah. to the shuffling of the paper. So yeah. is there something then in, in Mike's balance in, in doing mm. the manual stuff in the day and then your well, classical music in the I evening? Mean, the, the job at Phantom of the Opera is very, very repetitive. And the very first show that we did, 
um, I got as much joy from that as I got from the very first time I conducted Cats and finished a show. I go into Phantom of the Opera as as a nine-to-five job, if you like, and after 24 years, I don't get the same satisfaction at the end of the show. <laughs> um, but there are different challenges, and, and that is how to keep it fresh, which is very important. Um, when I'm repairing a boiler, um, I can get huge satisfaction from... Um, finding a problem that I haven't come across before and, and repairing that and then it all bursts into life and, and, and works for years afterwards. But the most satisfaction I get out of everything is in classical music. Um, I don't have any work as a classical pianist or very, very little work as a classical pianist. Um, it was mainly chamber music and accompanying that I was doing before. And now I get huge satisfaction from taking a new piece of music which I've either haven't played for 20, 30, 40 years or never played before and learning it. And at the end of that, just playing it to myself. And that is the best satisfaction out of everything that I do. That, that is the most satisfaction I get. Simon, you mentioned at the top of uh, the interview that you really enjoy working with your hands. Did it ever occur to you to pursue that sort of career? Not really, no, to be honest. Um, but I can remember doing it as a... As a, as a, as a I mean, my father was completely um, useless at anything. So my mother fastened on me that I was going to be the person who was the, you know, the house carpenter. Um, so she actually taught me carpentry. And she gave me manuals and everything. She was obsessed with it. <laughs> Plumbing as well, I think. And I, I liked it. And I, <clears throat> and I built my first... And I, I sailed a bit. I built my first sailing boat. Which didn't float. <laughs> but it was, <laughs> but it was hugely amazing. satisfying yeah. to make. Um, I used to make models, and, and I've stopped that now. But I can see, I can see, wanted to go back to it. And as I think I said in the piece, just, the, just the something simple like sewing on a button or changing a, a plug, I get real satisfaction when it's done. And it's, and I hadn't realised until I read these books what it was, what was happening to me. It was real satisfaction. I thought it was just a you know, job well done. But it, 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 the point they're making is it's deeper than that. And I think going back to what you were saying about the different things you do. Um, I just think that, that, that what, the, the message of the psychologists here is, is um, a rounded person gets satisfaction from a rounded portfolio of activities. The fact that one, one or other of them might make money, or one of them, other of them has to be done to make money, I think is, is irrelevant to that point. Just to be a rounded, satisfied person, you need to do three or four different things. They used to be called work and hobbies. I think in future we'll just regard them all as, as activity. Yeah. So, just to round up, any sort of next steps for people that are convinced by the argument of the satisfaction of manual work? I just say do everything. Do everything. Don't, don't, be, don't be one track. And Mike? I mean, I, I agree with that totally, but there is always in the back of my mind having to make a living. Uh, and so if you can get as much satisfaction from a variety of things and earn a living as well, then I think that's the best way. Thanks again to Simon Jenkins and Mike Stanley. Now, while we wait for you all to hone your carpentry and landscaping skills, Harriet has selected some more traditional graduate jobs for you to consider. She is also going to give Ali a hand revealing the job's top 10. Rocking in at 10, it's a trade marketing manager for Intercity Group. And at 9, we have a communications manager from BGC Partners. IHS are looking for a sub-editor based in the Middle East at 8. While the Royal College of Music wants a web and publications manager at 7. In at 6, it's a market research executive at IFF Research. And at 5, Navitas need a curriculum coordinator. It's a media officer for Keith Taylor MEP at 4. 
And at three, the Advertising Standards Agency are looking for two investigations executives. One from the top at two, it's a digital development manager for the brand union. But this week's numero uno is a marketing executive with Magnus. Before we go, here's what we've got coming up on the site next week. Okay, on Monday we have Roots into Disease Research. And then on Tuesday we have What Can Undergraduates Do to Prepare for Their Careers?, On Wednesday, it's working as a packaging designer. And Thursday, a survival guide for budding journalists. I must point out that one's from 4pm till 6pm, but every other Q&A that week is 1pm till 4pm. So make sure you check in. Thanks, Ali. All that's left to say is thanks very much to our guests, Simon Jenkins and Mike Stanley, Harriet Minter and Ali White. Careers Talk was produced by James Crawford. I'm Kerry Eustace. And until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.